This is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, I am super excited for our guest today. He is a competitive body flyer, uh, skydiver, and he's also the general manager at iFly in New Jersey right now. And he is absolutely an awesome guy. Super excited to have him on the show today. Get to know a little bit more about his story, but also kind of get to know the man behind the success. I mean, you've had quite a bit of success. So welcome Spencer Lebunski to the program. Spencer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing awesome. Hey, brother, it is so good to have you on. You know, it's funny. Uh, we worked together for a short stint uh, a number of years ago when uh, I was going through a searching <laughs> moment of my life. And I thought, man, I should I should go get a part time job while I'm doing my own coaching thing. And, and I thought, man, I, I should you know what I should do? I should get a job working at something that would be fun. And uh, what did I do? I I applied for a job at uh, iFly, which is an indoor skydiving place. Spencer, I'm curious for you. Um, you've had a long laundry list of kind of extreme things that you've done. And I want to know kind of growing up, what, what kind of got you into that? Because I don't think you wake up one morning. I mean, maybe as a boy, maybe you woke <laughs> up and you're like, you know what? I want to jump off of really tall things. As high as I can and see if I survive. Like, where where did this, where did this come from? You know, uh, yeah, you know, my childhood. I we always spent uh, time out in the woods and exploring the the nature. Uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, basically surrounded by cornfields, and uh, we had five five acres. So I got I got pretty much free reign, <laughs> and I was able to go and uh, you know experience. Uh, just outdoors and and, and uh, just messing around as a kid. Through that, I pushed some limits, and uh, my my father uh, will definitely attest to that. Uh, but you know, I've always been kind of drawn to doing things that not everybody does. And when you know, I got into the world of skydiving uh, by uh, when I turned eighteen, I jumped out of an airplane just like anybody can when they turn eighteen. Had a lot of fun. And uh, went off to college, and I didn't have money to continue that. And then uh, about halfway col- through college, I got actually laid off from uh, one of my uh, my summer job at a wastewater plant. And you know, I was just looking around for a new job. And the company that I did my jump with, they were relocating, massively expanding. So I said, you know, they probably need some help. So I shot them an email, a cold email, and 48 hours later, I was hired. Uh, saw everybody coming down on the first day, big smiles, some of the coolest things ever. And I said, I got to do that. Gave him all my money, all my time, and uh, pretty much worked for free that entire summer. That's how I got into the skydiving world. And through the skydiving world, I have met so many incredible people uh, that has opened doors for opportunities, whether within skydiving or uh, different adrenaline sports. Yeah, I you know I think it's really interesting that you mentioned adrenaline sports it, because the types of people that attract uh, adrenaline sports are are really fascinating to me. Uh, I I surround myself a lot with freedivers right now. Uh, Freediving is oh, one wow. of uh, one of the most dangerous sports from what I've heard from people. Hopefully, my yeah, wife is not listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot more air when you're coming down from the sky than there yeah. is underneath the water, right? <laughs> but the I will ocean's say scary, that, man. <laughs> I will say the the uh, transparency, the realness of people that you get to spend time with in these environments, adrenaline-rich environments, 
uh, is is really quite fascinating. You know, over the years, you've gotten to meet some pretty cool people. Um, what what has been kind of your experience with people in the extreme industry? Um, like, yeah. do, do they seem more chill? Are they more like that? I think that typically when someone thinks of a, an extreme sport, they think of someone that's like so high on octane and they're jumping like, they're like ah, and they're, they're ready to go, <laughs> right? And, and not to there say are, that they aren't, yeah. but I, I don't think that, I don't think that categorizes the majority of people that are out there. Uh, no, that's, that's a great bring up. And so, you know, going back to like skydiving and even just like, I've done kiteboarding and a few other uh, paragliding, parasailing, all that good stuff. Uh, it's, it's a crazy mix of people. Uh, you know, on a, on a single skydive, I, I have somebody who's a lawyer, you know, a prominent lawyer making well over six figures, maybe even seven figures a year. And, you know, we're jumping with somebody who just scraped up enough money to get that one jump today. It's a very interesting thing that, you know, these, these sports really bring different people together for the love of that sport. Just like with free diving, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of different personalities and, and whatnot uh, and backgrounds that come come to do that. But what really brings everybody together is that sport in and of itself. When we're skydiving, there's no judgments about your life story, about your whatever whatever's happening in your life. It doesn't really matter. Because when we're falling out of, out of the sky for 45 seconds, we're focusing on each other and, and the goals and the plans that we we uh, we want to accomplish. I think it's fascinating you bring up the 45 second drop because isn't it true that when you're in a situation like you have that high adrenaline, you're not you're not thinking about your mortgage payments, you're not thinking about the fight that you had with your spouse the other day, uh, you know yep. you're not you're not thinking about the the day to day things that we're going through everything checks out, you know, I, I'd be curious mm -hmm. uh, and you can speak to this here in a second, but I'd be curious of when that moment takes place. Like, is it, mm. is it when you're getting in the plane and all of a sudden you realize that it's real, that you, <laughs> you're taking off the <laughs> runway, obviously you're, you're more seasoned than most people, but um, when is it that you're no longer thinking about the general aspects of life and you actually just start being in the moment. But then also I'm curious um, what kind of takeaways from your jumps have you gained over the years? Because it truly is a moment where you are just there. And at the, maybe the first time someone gets down, they're just like, oh my gosh, I made it. I'm not dead. I, I love life. And they're kissing the ground, right? It, there's yeah. that extreme to the extreme of someone that goes, man, I just realized, and maybe I had a, a problem that I just solved because of this last jump, because it just cleared my mind. So mm -hmm. I wonder if you speak into a little bit about that. What At what point yeah. does that happen for you? And what are some of those takeaways that you've gained over the years by going through the process of a jump? The moment that that, that freedom and that clarity happens, I would say is like as soon as your foot leaves the airplane. Um, you know, on the right up and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the right up, you know, uh, it's roughly about 20 minutes to get to, to the altitude that we jump from. Usually it does give you a little bit of time to think. Um, and that's actually when I, you know, I really do reflect on why am I doing this? What the heck am I doing? I'm about to chuck myself out of a perfectly good airplane. And then as soon as I leave that airplane, it's like, oh, Duh, this is why, you know? <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, so I would say as soon as I jump out, that is my pure focus. 
uh, to have fun in free fall and then get safely back on the ground. Uh, nothing else matters. All the work problems, they all fade away. And that's one of the things that really drew me to skydiving as well is just that, yeah, you can take that break from, from life and, and just really enjoy nature, really enjoy the people that you're around and, uh, you know, potentially accomplish a goal. Uh, and then to your second question, uh, some of the things I've learned, first and foremost, um, it's a team sport. Uh, this is, you know, your success is reliant on other people. Uh, your safety is reliant on other people. And we all have to have uh, trust within each other that we all know what we're doing and what we're capable of doing. Um, and getting that trust together and, and just realizing that it is 100% a team sport. Whether you're jumping with one person or, you know, on my world record, we had up to 95 people in the air at, at the same time. That's been uh, one of my biggest takes, takeaways. And honestly, everything in life is a team sport. You need some sort of support system um, to, to help you, guide you, and, and move forwards. I, I think a lot of people don't uh, see life as a team sport, right? We, we live in a culture nowadays that tells us, well, it's all about you. You got to pull up your, you know, your boots from your own bootstraps. You make it happen yourself. You don't rely on anyone. You can't trust anyone. And the reality is the older we get, the more we realize how untrue that is, the, the, yeah. the need that we not only have for other people, but we we truly desire it in our lives. And, and in a world where we feel so disconnected from other people, it's so important to feel and be a part of something, to be a part of a team. And I love how you say that, that, you know, this, this, whenever you go out on a jump, whether you're the person that's taking someone or whether you're the pilot or whether you're the, the shoot packer, because if I remember correctly, you started your job as the shoot packer, right? Yeah, that was um, my primary job for about two years. Yep. And you're a member of the team. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you started doing that, um, I, I love that you got into this <laughs> as the shoot packer, <laughs> which I think I'm, I'm not, I'm not so keen on all the aspects of skydiving, but I'm guessing the shoot packer is exactly what it sounds like. You're packing the shoots, right? Yep. And everyone relies on you. Uh, really their life depends on you packing the chute. Like th that is the most important aspect. Like, yeah, the plane will get you up there. Yeah. The, the other person that's attached to you, the, but you want to make sure that your chute's actually going to open to its fullest yes, sir. capabilities. Right. What were some of the lessons you learned starting from such a humble position, even though it's integral part of the process, but moving from that, which we would maybe think that that's like the lowest on the totem pole, all the way up to being an instructor where you're taking people's out of the plane. Um, what were some of the lessons along the way of gradually getting to that point? Because I think a lot of people today think overnight success, right? Mm -hmm. What can I do today? Like, I want to get my certification and I want to be able to go take my friends out skydiving tomorrow. Like, like, yeah, yeah, sounds like a great <laughs> idea, but in reality, probably not a great idea. Yeah. What was that process like for you as you were starting from the beginning and building yourself up to that point of being an instructor? A lot of it is money and time, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, to, to become a, a skydiving tandem instructor, uh, you have to have a minimum of 500 jumps, uh, and then you can go into your course and, and start going through the course. Uh, 
But one of the lessons I definitely learned along the way was to use your resources. Uh, every single person that, that worked at the drop zone had something valuable to give me. They did, probably didn't know what it was. Uh, some of them did, uh, the seasoned vets and whatnot. But uh, somewhere along the line, with through our interactions and everything, almost every single person uh, that worked in the industry gave me some little nugget of information that that eventually pushed me forward. And then beyond that, it was uh, you know just setting goals and making sure I hit those and follow through on them. Uh, you know, I know I have to get 500 jumps. Okay. Well, let's start there. Let's get all the way up to 500 and uh, 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 get through all my licenses and everything. So I am the best prepared for this course uh, to become an instructor. Then you got to get the course going and then read all your papers and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and you could do half of that before you even get to the course. So, you know, just setting those milestone goals along the way to, to hit the, uh, the bigger goal at the end uh, really helped. And then, yeah, use your resources. Uh, talk to people. What what did you struggle with? How can I not struggle with that? You know, uh, so that that has been one of my my biggest takeaways with my teachings over the years. It's kind of coming back to this idea of teamwork. Uh, I love what you said about resources that most people don't even understand their resources. Like you go to someone and you have to know the resources that you're asking for. Because sometimes the person may have them, but they don't actually view them as a resource. Like most people who come to me, I wouldn't say that my ability to communicate and connect is a resource to me because it comes naturally. But to be able to communicate that and help other people out with their communication is something that I do very often. Now I see that it's a resource because I've had enough people come to me and say, hey, this is a, you're really good at this. This is a resource. Same thing mm -hmm. for you, your ability to understand teams and bring teams together. You mentioned earlier about uh, a world record that you were a part of. I want you to talk a little bit about that because I don't think we meet a lot of people that set world records. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what that world record was, but I think what's really interesting about this world record is that it requires a lot, a lot of planning, a lot of teamwork and a lot of trust. Because you have mm -hmm. to trust every single person that's a part of of this particular process. So t tell us a little bit about what the world record was, how important teamwork was in terms of getting to that point of breaking that record. The world record is uh, the world uh, head up vertical formation uh, is how it's titled. Uh, so we were in an orientation as if you were sitting in a chair. We call it sit flying or head up flying. Uh, we, uh, there was ultimately 72 of us that were able to complete the formation and set the new world record. Uh, previously it was 55 people leading up to that jump, man. Yeah. Like you said, there was a lot that went into it on my personal side. I had to go to a training camp. So I had to fly from San Antonio to Phoenix, uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, spend about $2,000 to be a part of these jumps and really start to, uh, uh, get into these bigger, bigger, bigger formations. Luckily, I got what we kind of consider a golden ticket. I was already approved to be on the, the world record team after that training camp. Uh, so I was able to, to come back in April and uh, we were attempting to go for 100, uh, but we had to slim it down just because we were running out of time. And then what actually went into it, man, so much, but uh, before every single jump, 
uh, we would what we call dirt dive. So we're we are setting up in the landing area. Uh, we had five different airplanes. Everybody's in their own little airplane. And then we would all walk out as if we were flying and come together and see that site picture, see what's what the angle actually is. Uh, you know, shout out any reminders and, and whatnot. Uh, and then practice uh, when it was time to get away from each other so we could safely open our parachutes as well. Uh, so we did that every single time we jumped and we spent about 30 minutes uh, every single time. How many times did you actually go through that process of the practice for that? I want to, uh, I, I believe we got it on jump number 12. Uh, oh, so, so it wasn't, it 12. wasn't like two jumps and you got it, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And so, uh, the week that we, that we were, uh, attempting this world record, uh, we, you know, it was like the one week in Arizona that it was cloudy. Um, and, uh, we do have to follow visual flight rules. So if it, it's cloudy, we're not allowed to jump through clouds. Uh, so we, we had some weather challenges and whatnot, but ultimately we had about two days total to get all these jumps in. So we started at about 6 a.m., uh, went all the way till sundown. And uh, we started, I believe, with 92 people on the jump. Uh, and we noticed that, you know, a few people weren't weren't making the cut. So we, we asked them to sit down. And one of the unique things with these, uh, these uh, world records is you have to plan everything and everything has to come together exactly like what you put it on paper. Where I was, I had to be there. I couldn't just trade places with somebody else if they they were closer or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, so, uh, so that was one of the decision to it then. Very much so. And it, it's very confusing because especially the head up record, you actually upside down till you get to the formation, then you have to flip over. And so your slight picture completely changes <laughs> as you uh as you flip uh to, to the head up orientation. But um yeah, so then we, we whittled it down, and then we noticed that today's the last day. Tomorrow's going to be a weather day, and uh, we got pretty much two more shots at this. Uh, we were very, very close on the second to final shot, and we were landing. I was the I was typically the last person to land. I was actually the lowest jump experience on that on that record. I only had like 470 jumps and I'm holding out to people that have like 20,000. It's awesome. When they say riding on the coattails of giants, like you, <laughs> I remember uh, I wasn't even on the ground yet and I could hear over the loudspeaker, you guys, we have 20 minutes until we have to be in the airplanes. We get one more shot at this. And then we actually finally did it on that final shot. Uh, and then it was a big party at the end of the night. This is that formation right here, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that is uh, that is our 72-way head-up formation over Eloy, Arizona at Skydive, Arizona. You being able to do something like this is pretty spectacular because I think most people getting out of the plane, like, I mean, yeah, the first time you're kind of freaked out, but to have the precision to be able to do something like this, to have so many people coming together and to have a common goal and to reach that common goal is pretty spectacular. I think you mentioned some really cool things. The amount of labor and work that went into it, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of time it took to go into it, but then also the fact that uh, things didn't go according to plan, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden you got, you have clouds and you can't, you can't actually jump um, because you know, they, it's literally uh, restricted to be able to do that. And there's good reasons yep. for that, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. You don't wanna come through a cloud and then have an airplane right there, yeah.
<laughs> and just my luck, that's probably what would be what happened. <laughs> so it, I find it really fascinating though, because your life it really has been a huge teamwork piece. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about teamwork, where you currently are right now here in yeah. a second. But I'm curious, has teamwork always kind of been one of those things for you in your life that you've always naturally brought in people, uh, brought people together? around you like when you were when you were back home and you guys were you know going out in the woods and doing things that maybe got you in trouble and you said i love how you said yeah i i, I pushed my limits i was I, I wanted to ask did you actually find those limits and maybe a couple things maybe a couple yeah, trees? <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> a few times but were you a lone wolf growing up or did you always have this sense of like community of bringing people around you a little bit of both um i you know, like I said, I grew up out in the country, so I didn't have a lot of friends that actually lived anywhere near me, <laughs> um, a few miles down the road at best. And uh, so, yeah, I was a little bit of a loner, uh, but I was in I was in Boy Scouts th uh, throughout my entire uh, childhood, and I did reach uh, the rank of Eagle Scout. And I, I definitely realized I was more of a leader and, and somebody that... Mm. You know, if nobody's taking charge, I'm going to be the guy that does it. And let's get this, whatever it is done, or let's make a decision um, and, and move forwards together. And I'll, you know, I'll support you and back you and I'm going to help you too. So yeah, it's a little bit of both, but I would definitely say, you know, I've always been drawn a little bit more to leadership. I like to think of myself as an introvert until I get to, until I clock in at work. And then, and then for some reason that just comes out of me and I, I, I love it. What's really interesting is, um, skydiving is a thing indoor skydiving kind of a thing but body flying man that is something absolutely spectacular and really cool to watch how did you not necessarily make the transition but how did you get into the body flying world like what what was the draw for you going from high jumping out of a plane to going into a wind tunnel and being blown at, you know, hundreds of miles an hour. So that, so you can learn <laughs> how to actually use your body in a way to fly. I got into, I fly through uh, one of my resources, talking to people around the drop zone. Uh, uh, somebody that uh, went and worked actually, I believe, you know, him, Timmy Hunkler. Uh, yeah. uh, he we, we were skydiving together and then he started working for iFly and he brought me in. But what really drew me to, the the job itself is giving that experience of flight and giving that that freedom of flight and delivering the dream of flight everybody has had a dream where they've woken up and they've been able to fly in their dreams we can make that a reality and that that really drew me in um and then once i started actually taking people and teaching people seeing those light bulb moments when everything just kind of falls into place they finally understand the skill whatever we've been working on and uh, they can do it repetitively, fast, no problem, and we can move on to the ne the next thing. So, uh, you know, just seeing that those light bulb moments really kind of kept me around. I would say you went from instructor, and then you slowly moved your way up into general manager where you are right now. Mm -hmm. My journey uh, started in uh, 2014 in Chicago. Uh, I started out as an instructor, pretty quickly rose through the instructor ranks. Um, and then started becoming a instructor trainer. So I'm teaching the other instructors. Moved over to San Antonio, kept, kept going up the instructor side, moved to Phoenix, kept going up the instructor side. Uh, and then I actually had a uh, back injury uh, that, uh, mm. you know, I, it was very, very, very slow to recover. That was the, the time 
that I had to kind of look myself in the mirror and figure out what was next for me. I still mm -hmm. enjoyed the company. I still enjoyed uh, everything that we did. I uh, fully stand behind the product. Uh, so I went to my boss and, you know, kind of laid it out to them and said, I can't physically do this, but I want to be a part of the team. So they found some, some room for me in a, in a more uh, management role. And then the rest is kind of history. I started working my way up, moved up to Portland, worked with you, uh, made it to GM before uh, 2020 hit, and then uh, went back to Phoenix. Then I'm um, over here in Jersey as the GM. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've had you've had quite a few um, setbacks um, throughout your career, throughout yeah. different aspects of life, right? You know, you 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 talk about you know setbacks in the air. You you talk about setbacks of your back injury. I'm sure there were probably mm -hmm. setbacks when you were growing up. What's a challenge that you've had in your life? What was your response to it? And how did you grow through that challenge in your life? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I got my whole notepad over here of challenges just from today. But uh, <laughs> uh, one of my challenges uh, was this uh, actually last year, I was uh, the GM of iFly Phoenix. Uh, I applied for a promotion into regional director uh, twice last year. Uh, both times I was, I was passed on and, you know, I was definitely defeated. Definitely. The first round, uh, the person that got it hundred percent reasonable, respect it. That was like the only person I would have respected from the day one. Um, but the second round, they actually decided to go a different route. Uh, so, but still I was defeated and I, I made that no, uh, uh, and whether it was, uh, you know, I had a, a talk with one of my HR people, uh, and then uh, shortly after that talk, they presented uh, New Jersey to me and I said, you're going to take me out of Scottsdale, Arizona and put me in New Jersey? I don't think so. <laughs> um, You've been watching they, too uh, much they... Jersey Shores, have you? Like, yeah. like, uh, I don't Shore, know if yeah, I want to go to Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so I'm over the winters. I'm, I've done that. It's fun. I don't, it's not for me. Uh, but they, they really presented it, um, as a, as a true opportunity to continue my growth. Uh, they laid it all out. This is what we're thinking. Uh, you know, as your next step, if you want to do that, you need to learn from this person and they live over on the East coast. So you need to go work with them. I, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the money, there was a, there was a money factor to it too. Uh, they were able to get to the, the magic number that was in my head and, uh, and make it happen. So, uh, that was, uh, that was one of the challenges. And then here we go again, we're uprooting our life for iFly again and moving across the country. Luckily I've had my, my wife has been very, very, very supportive uh, throughout my entire career. Um, and we were, we were able to make the move and, and everything's pretty much on track for that, that development piece that was promised to me. Teamwork thing really keeps coming up, uh, into my head as we're talking, but you know, there's, there's this team aspect that you have in your life. And I would, I would imagine that probably one of your, uh, most relied upon team members is your wife, right? Cause you guys have been together <laughs> coming up here on seven years, right? You said, mm-hmm. 
work and the transitioning from one place to the next, you know, the constant, oh my gosh, are we doing this again? Like, <laughs> and there's always, there's always this feeling of like, there's a sacrifice to get to the next thing, right? In order to get to that next thing in your life, you always have to sacrifice something, whether that's comforts of where you are, whether that's a paycheck or you know, fill in the blank, there's always some kind of sacrifice in order to get to that next echelon. How have you and your wife navigated uh, these waters for so long? Because it's 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 very rare uh, that you find someone who's been married for almost seven years and they've worked their problems out. They've they they've decided to continue moving in the same direction. Especially when I'm, I would imagine that maybe your wife isn't like the huge skydiver that you are. Maybe she <laughs> is, um, but you probably have differences of uh, hobbies and and things that you guys like. And so how how has that played a huge role in your development over the years of of kind of understanding who you are? But then also this role that you have that you play as her as her husband. I mean, there's been a lot that that uh, not only both of us have sacrificed, but definitely her. Um, it's it, you know she she's uprooted her life and you know new friends, new jobs, new everything for me and to to follow my career uh, and keep pushing forwards with mine. Um, and now we're getting to the point that in her career. Uh, we have to make these decisions a little bit more carefully. Uh, she's been able to, to work her way up a bit. Uh, she works for Whole Foods now, um, and uh, she has opportunities in front of her. So now we got to sit down and, you know, weigh them out, which one is going to be better for us as a, as a, as a family uh, to, to be able to move forward uh, in the best light. So yeah, those there's been plenty of challenges and uh, and sacrifices that have had to be made. But I, I would say you know one of the biggest things that that my wife and I have been very successful about is just talking. We check in almost every single day. As soon as we get paid, we look at each other. Uh, what bills do you got to pay? Uh, I got to pay this, this, and this. You know? Okay. Well, hey. Uh, one of the things that we did when we first got married, we dumped all of our money into one account. We only have one account for both of us. That's it. So mm -hmm. that forced us to communicate about money, which is, I'd probably say 50% of relationship issues <laughs> for married people. Huge. And, Huge. and whatnot. So we, yeah, that we have to talk. That forces us to talk three, four, five, six times a week uh, about that one thing and that translates into pretty much everything else that we do because you need money, time and money to do everything. Right. Uh, yeah. so through that, we find our common goals and our common desires. And if you want to go take a class to better yourself, I'm fully supportive. I'm going to take that $400 I set for my class and I'm going to go skydive or whatever it might be, you know? Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's just, you know, communication has been hands down the biggest biggest thing that we we've uh, been successful at over the last seven nine years if you count us dating my wife and i were marriage coaches and it's funny because one of the most difficult topics for any relationship is money and yeah. the the staggering statistic of how many people go into marriage and they never combine their funds they always keep their funds in separate accounts yeah, and, you know that maybe maybe that's just me being you know archaic and like oh we're just gonna throw our money up in one place and I want to know how much we have so that I know that we're not gonna be drowning at the end of the month right, right? yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, I, it, there is there is something about this that it is a huge conflict when we start talking about money 
But for you guys to start uh, right off the bat with the money conversation is huge. And I think, I think a yeah. lot of couples don't actually do that. They don't, you know, they, they put the, the topics that they don't really want to talk about that they know it might cause an argument or maybe, you know, some, some abrasion in the relationship. They want to put it off to the side when in actuality, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, would you say that those talks that you've had, maybe some of the more abrasive ones, some of the ones that get a little bit more heated, would you say that after those talks, after you've mended things and worked through things, you guys are stronger than when you were than if you hadn't have communicated? A hundred percent, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, if you choose to not to, to talk about it, like it's not going to go away. It's going to continue to fester and become even more of a problem. Um, my wife had a student loan that uh, never really found her until like five years later. Uh, I hate those so heat-seeking student loans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she didn't really know about it. And there was a, uh, a, you know, all the addresses and phone numbers were all wrong and all that kind of stuff. So uh, there was some, some serious financial issues that we had to take care of uh, surrounding that. Uh, it put us in a not so great financial place, but, uh, you know, we, we had to do it. And if, uh, we would have just continued to ignore it and forget about, it or just, you know, have those small little conversations, but never actually solve the problem. I mean, we'd probably still be dealing with it today. You have to hit those problems head on and, and definitely became stronger as a, as a couple. Where do you think that communication piece came from? Being because I, you both obviously had the desire to work and to communicate together, but I'm curious from your side of things, where did you learn that ability to have those tough conversations, to actually have the conversations that need to be had? Because what I find really interesting, you know, I'm I'm lucky that I've had the opportunity to know you and see you in difficult situations where you, you, you do cut out the BS. You go straight and you say, hey, look, here's what's happening. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to hide things from you, but here's what's going on. And we got to come to a solution. So let's work together to make this work out for everyone here. And that's always yeah. kind of in your heart whenever I've seen you for as long as I've known you. And that doesn't, that's not a common thing for people to do. Uh, most people today, they, they run in the opposite direction of anything that is conflict. So I'm curious, where do you feel like that came from in terms of this idea to be able to be open to communicating about conflict in your life? Uh, no, I would, I would definitely say that, you know, uh, a lot of it, and even with the, like combining all of our money and everything came out of my, my parents' divorce. Uh, they got divorced when I was about 10 years old. So I was just young enough to not really understand what was going on. But over the years, you know, with going to my father and, and my mother it's for advice about life or marriage or whatever it might be, you know, I kind of learned the reasons uh, that led up to the divorce. You know, that was that was something that I 100% wanted to avoid. And communication was like one of the easiest ways to avoid 90% of those issues. So, uh, you know, uh, so that was that was probably where I got most of it. Uh, truthfully, how old would you say you were when you started having those conversations with your folks? You know, some of the the lesser ones of just like, why did you guys get divorced? And was there any, any other reason kind of thing? Those were probably like later in my, my teens. Uh, but now, nowadays, you know, my, my father and my mother speak completely open about it. So uh, I would probably say about 
five, maybe 10 years ago is when I got like the full story. <laughs> and, uh, and I still see, you know, the issues that, that they had, I could still see those in each individual. Uh, but now I can mm. actually spot them and like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Okay. So, I mean, you've, you've grown a lot even since the time that I've known you. We always talk about doing things. We always talk about achievement. We always try, we, we talk about success in life and, and money and, and those are all really good things, right? We, we need money in order to make the world turn, uh, to solve problems. Um, success helps us to open doors. But I think at the end of the day, one of the most important things that we can do is to define who it is that we want to be. Who do we want to be in our life? And I find that most people don't actually spend a lot of time asking themselves this question of, well, who do I want to be in this situation? You know, in, in, the, in the difficult times where you're having an argument with your spouse and you say, well, you know what? Uh, I chose a long time ago that um, I'm going to talk with my wife and we're going to work through these things. Even if we talk each other to death, um, mm -hmm. then we'll be free, right? T till, till death do we talk. Um, <laughs> and yeah. for you, I'm curious, um, what have, what have been some of those decisions that you've made in your life that you say, you know what, this is who I want to be. What are some of those non-negotiable things? If you say, you know, this is my identity, this is who I am. I would definitely say one of them would be somebody that, is always, um, you know, I'm not quick to say no. Uh, somebody that, like, if there's a problem, there's always a solution to that problem, whatever it might be. Um, and then I, I want to be the person that want that wants to say yes, right? Sometimes, you know, policies, procedures, you name it, laws stop me from doing that. But uh, if somebody comes to me with a problem, I want to be the one that helps them to solve it and do it in the best way possible too. where, you know, yeah, sure. The walls are crumbling or down around us, but Hey man, it's okay. We're going to be all right. We're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. Whatever the problem is, I we're going to make it right. Uh, that's been one of my biggest thing, you know, especially when I'm customer facing, but even with my, my employees and, uh, my wife and my friends and everything. I want to be the one that that helps you uh, get to whatever it is that you need to do, whether it's coming in and fly, get to you know the train on time, whatever it is. Let me be the one that helps you. What has been the hardest thing for you to say no to? Right, because uh, I love that you say the yes, and in order to say yes as many times as you're able to, there always has to be a no somewhere along the way, right? And so I'm yeah. curious, what what for you has been maybe one of the harder things that you've had to say in order for me to continue to be in alignment with who I am, in order to continue to be that person that says there is going to be a solution, I'm going to walk with you in the solution. You've had to say no to some things along the way. Um, what are some of the harder things that you've had to say no to, um, but you're glad that you did? Uh, most people would say management. <laughs> but uh, uh no that's a that's a great question i mean ooh, ooh, man so I, I i did have an opportunity to potentially go into more the sales side of our business where they're doing direct sales and and uh b2b sales and and uh you know hunting down leads and all that kind of stuff and that's definitely something I'm glad I said no to. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that's a that sales and pure sales takes a certain kind of person. And, you know, I'm 
I I'll sell things till the, until I'm uh, blue in the face. But uh, that level of sales and uh, where you know ninety five percent of your paycheck is tied to it, eh, I, I'm glad I didn't do that. Uh, and yeah, I saw myself more more as a leader of a team, and uh, I'm very glad I pursued that route rather than going into the the sales route. Would you say then because you said no to that? you were able to say yes to leadership then? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. If I, if I would have committed to sales, like it would have been a completely different growth and training and all that kind of stuff. And actually during, uh, when COVID hit, uh, our company got rid of 90 ish percent of our sales force. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was, I was one of the lucky ones that was a, uh, general manager and was able to stay and stay with the company and continue to move forwards with them, um, uh, and get them mm. out of COVID and reopened. One of the things that I think is interesting about your story is always this ability to step out into kind of the unknown. Whether whether you're ready to do it or not, you know, I love that you know on on your jump, um, multiple jumps, but specifically the world record. I recall you saying, "Well, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the most experienced. In fact, I was the least experienced person there. You know, with you know mm -hmm. 400 jumps under my belt versus the next person with 20,000, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> and and there's something to be said about being willing to jump when you're not ready because a lot of people are waiting and they're waiting mm. and they're waiting you know uh getting into maybe getting into an industry that maybe they're not 100 certain about that's not to say that you jump blindly into things right there's a reason sure. why you don't jump into clouds you got to be able to see mm -hmm. what's below <laughs> mm -hmm. but there is something to be said about taking chances jumping in and making the most of every single experience. Uh, Spencer, what would you say to the person who is currently in a stagnant place where they just don't feel like they're happy and they feel like they should make a jump and they're just not jumping because of fear? You, you yeah. deal with fear day in, day out, yeah. probably more than probably any other person <laughs> I know. You deal with fearful people all the time. How how do you help people overcome that fear and to make that first step to jump? First, for the people that are kind of on the edge uh, thinking about jumping, do it. Just do it. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always been somebody that uh, chases opportunities, right? I want to try. I'm always been in, inclined to try new things, whether it be food or an experience or an activity, whatever it might be, I'm down to do it. Let's go. Um, and then only once I tried, then I can tell you if I actually liked it or not. And if I want to continue to do it, uh, there's been plenty of things I've tried in my life that I will, I, I'm good. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, you know, I've really seen that it opens up your horizons. Um, and, you know, just even just moving around the country with iFly, uh, that's always been a jump, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm really comfortable back home in Chicago, but San Antonio, I, I guess let's, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I've always been somebody that's just like, let's see what happens. And then I love faking it until I make it. If you can put on the suit and put a smile on your face, you're halfway home. 
you know, uh, it's the attitude that you go into these, these experiences or these jobs or whatever it might be in your life. Uh, that really, really, really drives, drives it all together. Uh, it drives it home. So you have to have the right attitude when you go into these things, but try not to let anything stop you from, from trying those things. Um, you know, if it's time or money, uh, if you are serious about this opportunity, you're going to find a way to do it. Just like the, the world record. I mean, I probably put about $7,000 into it. Uh, when it was all said and done between travel and jumps and all that kind of stuff, I didn't have that money, <laughs> but I found it because I, I had a, I had a, an idea in my head that I wanted to accomplish and, um, and I figured out a way to make it work. It's such a great lesson because a lot of people don't understand it, that the resources don't come until you take the step towards what it is that mm -hmm. you want. Nine times out of 10 in my life, uh, I don't have the resources to always take that next step. But when I do, the resources start falling into place. That doesn't mean go take a, you know, like a $30,000 loan to go crazy with something. You have to have some prudence within this, but there is something to be said about taking that step out. And I love that you talk about that because it's true. Um, so many people don't step out and they, they lack experience. They lack experience in life because they're not willing to try new things. Something as simple as going and trying a new food. Like, mm -hmm. like it's surprising to me how many people aren't willing to try something new and what, yeah. what it does, whether you like it or not, it opens up your mind to newer experiences. It's the, it's the yes. And here is one more thing that I, and I've tried. Here's something I may not like it, but I, I now know that I I've, I've done it and I've tried it and they'll find, you'll find a lot of things that you actually do love and like in your life. Before we wrap up here, Spencer, uh, there's one thing I do want to ask you, because I love that you talk about attitude and how important attitude is as you show up through different experiences. Most people, I would say all people, because they're human, we have experiences in life that are challenging, that are frustrating, that are hard. But you have this demeanor about you where uh, you're always lighthearted, you're laughing, you're happy. Maybe there's some times where someone might catch you off every now and then, because we know we're, we're human, we're not perfect. But happiness being a choice is a huge philosophy in your life. Tell everyone here a little bit about how do you make happiness a choice when the world seems to be falling down around you? And I think that's happening a lot around us right now. People are having a hard time paying rent or finding a job or, you know, fill in the blank. People around us are just really struggling in, in areas of their life. And they're having a hard time with the situation, dealing with it and being positive, being happy. How do you choose, how do you make that choice to be happy in every circumstance? Definitely. Uh, so first, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that happiness is a choice. That is something that I, I, I probably say once a month uh, in my team meeting, in our monthly team meeting, uh, and then all, probably several times a week with my employees uh, when they're coming up to me upset about whatever it might be. Uh, and I just remind them that happiness is a choice. You have to choose to be happy. If you focus on the negatives, like that's all that's all it's ever gonna be. That's, that's gonna be your life. It's gonna be negative, it's gonna be not fun, it's not gonna be 
something that you want to wake up and go to work and like, no, don't do that. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta find those, those silver linings within the, within the problem, the issue, whatever it might be in your life and, and hone in on those, celebrate them, maybe write down a list of all the negatives and figure out how to turn those into positives. There's been a lot of things that happened in my life that has, you know, in the moment it has sucked and it was horrible. It really, really was bad. But then, you know, mm. two, three years later, I remember about that and I reflect on it and wait, that was actually a really good experience. So it, there's a lot of bittersweet within life and half the time you're not going to find that sweet part until way further down the road. Don't wallow in the negativity. If you need a day to, to just take a break, let that happen, but start tomorrow with uh, positivity, happiness, and a plan. Happiness, positivity, and a plan. And I love what you're saying. I've heard it said a lot. You, you find what you're looking for. You know, if you're looking for the negative stuff, you're going to find the negative stuff. If you're looking mm -hmm. for the happiness in life, if you're looking for the positive stuff, you are 100% going to find it. So Spencer, I really appreciate you jumping on today, being able to share experiences from your life, who you are, and really who you show up as. If someone wanted to follow you, Spencer, where should they, where should they go to follow you? Is that, is that, that Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on Instagram. Uh, my handle is fly Spencer fly. <laughs> I love that. And for all of you listening, make sure to like subscribe and share this episode with a friend because I think it will be inspiring and truly make someone's day and remind them to be happy because happiness is a choice.